Good morning. Today's scripture is Genesis chapter 22, verse 20, through Genesis chapter 23, verse 20. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, Buzz his brother, Kimuel the father of Aram, Kisid, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rumah, bore Teba, Gaham, Tehash, and Maacah. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah, and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver? What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. This concludes the reading of God's word. 
Well, for Christine Lynn, who is my dear mother, November 1st, 2003 marks a day, marked a day that would test her faith beyond her own strength and understanding. Just six days prior to that day, mom had sadly witnessed the death of her sickly mother, who we affectionately called Grams, who she and dad cared for for some 20 years. In the last three years of their life, had unfortunately seen Graham's downgrade and development of emphysema and cancer, and she required daily care from both mom and dad, which they performed with love and with patience. And though deeply saddened and grieving by Graham's passing, it was in many ways a blessing and it released Graham's from pain and suffering to go on to a life with her Savior. Moreover, once time had passed, it would give freedom to mom and dad to soon begin together a retirement, pursue plans that, and dreams that they had saved for and planned for for some 50 years. But on this day, as Providence would have it, well, Dad was helping to do some cleaning and prepping in preparation for Graham's memorial service. He unexpectedly suffered a fatal heart attack. It hit without warning and, might we say, at an extremely inconvenient time. All the family was obviously stunned. Mom having to say goodbye to her mother and now losing her mate was numb with grief. She had spent her life teaching her children about the faithfulness God of God, that God would fulfill his good promises to his children, and that trusting God brings honor to God. She obviously now would face a crisis of faith, a crisis that would ask the question, can I trust God when this all does not make sense? Can I trust him when the pain and suffering seems overwhelming? Can I trust God when it seems that his promises won't come to pass, or at least not as I thought they would? Life's tra transitions bring challenge. Life's transitions bring pain. And life's transitions bring questions. We will face them all. You may be facing one right now. One of the greatest questions that we will face in those moments is this. Will I trust God and his promises in the midst of challenge? It seems like it's easy to trust God when things are going well. That's when things are not going so well. Or perhaps the question, if we are really more honest, is this. Can God be trusted to be faithful when his promises don't seem to be happening? Friends, how we respond to those questions is oh so very, very critical. Because how we respond to those questions reveals what we really believe. It reveals our faith. And our faith 
is what God gives us to respond. Well, I'm glad to say that mom, because of God's grace in her life, walked through the trial, though it was painful, though it was grieving. She walked through it with nobility, merged with even greater faith still. In her words, when she could not walk, God carried her. He continues to carry her to this day. And speaking with her about this just yesterday, she said, it was the Lord and his word that healed my heart. Today, she walks in joy, trusting God. And I can say as her son, her faith and her trust did and does honor the Lord. Well, throughout the book of Genesis, Abraham was faced time and time again with transitions and challenges. For example, remember he was called to leave his homeland to go to a new land, to leave his people and be an alien and a sojourner the rest of his days, to be told that his offspring would be numbered like the stars of heaven, only then for years to wait just for one child through Sarah. And then, as we heard last week, to take Isaac, the promised heir, the one through whom the great blessings of God would come, take him up to the altar, sacrifice him to God, sacrifice his own son. Talk about transitions. Talk about challenge. Talk about the need for faith. Well, in our passage today, Abraham is faced yet again with another transition that challenged his faith. Sarah, his wife, nearly 100 years, has died. Sarah, who faithfully walked side by side with Abraham, his fellow recipient of the promise, Sarah is now dead. No land, no offspring. How was that fulfillment of God's promise? So Abraham's faced yet again with the question, can he trust God when much of the promise remains unfulfilled? Can he trust the faithfulness of God if he never sees the promise fulfilled in this life? Well, I believe that this text teaches us the great truth, and I would summarize it this way. Since God's faithfulness and promises transcend this life, we have great reason to trust him, even in death. Let me say that again. Since God's faithfulness and promises transcend this life, that is, they surpass and go beyond the limits of this life and of our personal lives, we therefore have great reason to trust him, a God who is a transcendent God, even in the face of death. If you are taking notes, and I encourage you to do that, point number one is this. God is faithful to fulfill his promises. God is faithful to fulfill his promises. As we approach our text today, it's important that we remember the history of Abraham and Sarah's life leading up to that text or the text that we read. First of all, remember his calling, Genesis chapter 12. 
God called Abraham to follow him and go to a place that he would show him. The fact that God called Abraham was evidence of his faithfulness. Corinthians 1.9 says, if you are in Christ, God has been faithful to you. Remember his commitment, Genesis 15. God made an incredible covenant with Abraham. God cut a covenant and he said, I am committed to you and to my promise. Remember his power, Genesis 21, in her old age, when it was impossible for Sarah to conceive, God did a miracle, graciously gave son Isaac. And finally, Genesis 22, remember his provision, as Matthew preached last week, when God commanded Abraham to sacrifice his son, he was the one who provided the ram for the sacrifice. God showed Abraham his calling, his power, his commitment, his provision, if you will, his faithfulness. God for Abraham is writing a powerful script with his life. He was writing a powerful script with Sarah's life. He's writing a powerful script with our lives. And what we can't forget is this. Abraham's not the main actor on the stage. Abraham's not the main actor in our text. God is the main actor in our text. God's the main one. And what is being portrayed here is his faithfulness, his faithfulness. We have to remember that God is involved. If you are a Christian, we must remember that our faith, by the way, is a historic faith, as Matthew mentioned our faith is historic. It's not just a set of ideals. It's not just a set of rules built on emotion or human intuition or convenience for some Christians so that they can get people going a certain way. Our faith, as Matthew mentioned, is a response. And it's a response to the revelation and faithfulness of God. We respond to him because he first came to us. And in response to God's faithfulness, Abraham, as you know, believed God. He believed that God was able to do only what God could do. He believed that God would make his promises come to pass, either in this life for himself or in his descendants' life, either in his life or in the life to come, but Abraham trusted God and he believed that God would fulfill his promises. Hebrews eleven six that Abraham was looking for not just an earthly kingdom. He was looking for a far greater heavenly kingdom. That was part of the secret to his faith. I wonder if we would say the same. Are we more so looking toward a heavenly kingdom or are we putting all our, as it were, eggs in the basket of this kingdom? God will be faithful to his promises, but his promises transcend this life. God is faithful to fulfill his promises. He is faithful to fill his, fulfill his promises. We can't say that enough. Point number two, God fulfills his promises through the sacrificial work of his servants. Though the main actor in the story is Abraham, as we have said, and 
before we were, before our um, service, we pray. And so I told Will, if I say this, it's not my fault, Will, it's yours. Because Will said, wow, Chris, um, I just read the text that you're going to preach from. What are you going to do with that? To which I said, Will, please just pray. <laughs> By the way, we pray before service. Love to have you come out and do that. God called Abraham to be an active participant in the story. It was not just enough for Abraham to mentally acknowledge that he was able. Faith demanded that he would step out and trust the will of God. God required Abraham's participation. He required Abraham's obedience. If you will, Abraham had to put faith in action. If he really believed God, then his obedience would show it. It was not enough that God simply told him about the promised land. He had to step out and go to it. He had to leave the comfort, convenience of his home. It was not just enough that God would provide a sacrifice for Isaac. Abraham had to saddle the donkey. He had to get the wood. He had to get the fire. And he had to lead his son. God required Abraham's participation. Now, just like the other transitions, God is going to require Abraham's participation. Abraham was in a time of grieving. He had to bury his wife. And God is calling him to faithful obedience. One can only imagine the strain. One can only imagine the tension. But with God's faithfulness as a backdrop, Abraham sets out to bury his dead wife. A couple of the challenges we ought not miss. First of all, the writer of this text has made it abundantly clear of one critical fact. Sarah is dead. Now, I would think you'd only have to say that one time. As it were, directly, he says it ten times. And more if you look at some of the inferences. Sarah is dead. Therefore, we're called to see that this is the end of Sarah's life which means a couple of things. Number one, Sarah has not experienced the fulfillment of God's promises. God had changed her name from Sarai to Sarah as a sign that she would become nations and she would become kings, that is, her seed would come. God would bless her. God had given her a promise. Yes, she received Isaac, but where are the nations? Where are the kings? That's an unfulfilled promise. Secondly, Abraham has to bury his wife. But guess what? He owns no land, much less a tomb. How is he going to do that? Did he have to buy the property himself? Was he going to have to use his own money to do that? And thirdly, Abraham is grieving. Look at verse 3. Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. It's not simply a formality. 
It's a man with a broken heart. It would be very, very natural for him to pack up and to head home. And with these challenges, Abraham had to make a decision. Does he stay or does he go? Does he step up to an activity that's going to be costly, sacrificial, cost him time, cost him energy, cost him money, or does he go the other direction? However you slice it, the action to obey God would be costly, and it would involve sacrifice. But so it is, friends, with those who follow God so it is for us. Is following glorious? Yes. Is there a reward beyond imagination? Is it costly? Absolutely. Abraham's decision, as we know from the scripture, was to stay. Not just to stay, but to trust God. For Abraham, there was no turning back. God had demonstrated his faithfulness. Abraham's action demonstrated he trusted God. Abraham's participation demonstrated he believed God. Now, as we look at the chapter, the narrative takes on the feeling of a legal document. I am not so keen on legal documents. Um but I'm keen on the scriptures. And as one author said, because it is here, it is significantly theological. And so for that, I give thanks. Some scholars see the writing in this chapter as similar to early contract speech for the declaration of legal ownership of property in that area. Abraham becomes very involved in negotiations. 17 of the 20 verses were about legal negotiations to purchase a field. The field and the cave at Machpelah from Ephron the Hittite in order that he would have a proper burial place for his wife, Sarah. And much of the recorded information here documents the official sale and the actions which testify that this negotiation is official and legal. That this negotiation is official and legal. Don't miss that. Look at verse 3. Abraham goes to the Hittites and requests a place where he might bury Sarah. Verse 10, Abraham approaches Ephron, owner of the cave of Machpelah. He does so at the city gate, a common location for negotiation. Plenty of witnesses were around. Verse 11, Ephron offered up the, give the field to Abraham. Give him the field. Sounds like a good deal. But in this culture, a property given could be taken back and there could be strings attached. So Abraham appeals, pushes back, I wish to buy the cave in the field. In so doing, it would give Israel the first major property in Canaan. It would represent ownership in the promised land. But Ephraim presses back, offers again to give it to him. He presses the point. Verse 12, Abraham now bows in humility before Ephraim and again appeals Please sell me the property. And Ephron agrees to sell the property in the cave for 400 shekels, which some say was a very high price. Verse 18, 
declares that the field and the cave were now given as a possession to Abraham. And finally, verse 20, the field and the cave were made over to Abraham as a property and a burying place for the Hittites. The field and the cave were made over to Abraham as a property for a burying place by the Hittites. So what's that all about? Well, that's all about that Abraham now possessed property in the promised land. God had been faithful to his promises as he promised, but it involved Abraham's participation. God provided through Abraham's obedience. Granted, it was not the complete fulfillment, but it was definitely an installment on the promise that God had made to Abraham. It took effort. It was costly. It was uncomfortable. It took money. But it was the means and mechanism by which God demonstrated his faithfulness. How kind of God to do that. How kind of God to use Abraham. How kind of God to call Abraham to a very costly sacrifice. So we could see the faithfulness of God. God used Abraham's sacrifice to build a faith-building testimony. He built a memorial to the faithfulness of God. It's remembered to this day. Israel would look back time and time again at that event, and they would say, God is faithful. God is faithful. Look. It involved a death. It involved a grave. It involved a burial, it involved a payment, and it involved a promise. Let me say that again. Sound a bit familiar? It involved a death, it involved a grave, it involved a burial, it involved a payment, and it involved a promise. I hope it sounds familiar. But lest we overlook or assume, we're obligated to recognize that Abraham's faithfulness and sacrifice as great as it was, is not the supreme example of faithfulness and sacrifice. In some ways, it was a foreshadowing. For just like Abraham, our Lord Jesus was as well called to a life of sacrificial obedience. He too was tempted by challenge and transition. Yet unlike Abraham, he lived a perfect life. He lived perfect obedience. But for his perfect obedience, humanly speaking, he was given scourging. He was given rejection. He was given death on a cross. Though his father owned the universe, his tomb was a buried tomb. Though he was sinless and was a beloved son, When he died, his father did not weep. His father turned his face away. For in that moment, as he hung on the cross, in full obedience to the call of God, my sin and your sin were placed on him. And the wrath of God that was poured out upon this faithful, broken body purchased for us something we could never pay for on our own. 
And the faithfulness of God was supremely demonstrated through this act. And at the conclusion of this sacrificial service, it was far more than property. But our Lord uttered the words, paid in full. Paid in full. What his faithful sacrifice purchased was far more costly than land. It was the price of human souls. His sacrifice purchased our place in a land free from slavery and free from the penalty of sin. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, we have an example of sacrificial faith and obedience that far outweighs Abraham's. It's the work of Christ. It's our memorial. It cost him much. His work fulfilled God's supreme and ultimate promise to be delivered from the power and punishment and penalty of sin. This life will only be an instrument, excuse me, an installment of that promise. We will never know it completely. We were never designed to know it completely. But one day we will. Friends, unlike the tomb of Machpelah, where there are a number of patriarchs buried, the tomb where Christ was buried is empty. Amen. The tomb where Christ was buried is empty. He overcame death. Now, God used Abraham's participation and his faithful obedience to build a memorial, a memorial to his faithfulness. And God used Christ's participation to build a memorial, a memorial of supreme measure. But you know what else? God used somebody else's participation in your life. You are here because somebody reached out to you. Might have been a parent, might have been a friend, might have been a coworker, might have been a stranger. But God used the participation of somebody to share with you the gospel, or at least the importance of you coming and being a part of church. And God would call you to the same. But once again, as with Abraham, God fulfilled his promise through the faithful sacrifice of his servants. Point three, in light of God's faithfulness, we're called to trust and follow. The example here in Genesis is not just for our information. It is for our imitation. Let me say that again. The example here in Genesis, not just for our information, it is for our imitation. As Abraham walked in obedience to a new land to await the fulfillment of God's promise, so you and I are called to walk in newness of life. Whether you are a Christian here or not a Christian, whether you've come to faith in Christ or not, it makes no difference. There is a claim upon your life that you are called to walk in honor of God. If you are a Christian, you are walking in honor of God. If you are not a believer, you are not. If you are a believer, you have a promise of an incredible inheritance. And if you are not a believer, you do not. I invite you to consider the faithfulness of God. And I invite you to call the importance of walking in newness of life. As a shepherd, Christ will lead us. 
as a shepherd, he will come to us. Sometimes he uses one another to do that. Sometimes it's through the prayers of other people. Yesterday, as I was going through this, talking with Matthew, I said, Matthew, can you just pray for me? That prayer and the words of his prayer kept me all day. It, I just kept going back to it. But you know what he prayed? He prayed the words of God. He prayed part of a scripture, which echoed in my mind. God used his faithful participation to help me walk in newness of life. As a shepherd, Christ will lead us. He'll provide for us. He'll teach us. But it's primarily through his word. Where are you today? What is going on in your heart? Where is God directing you to follow? Where is he calling you to trust him? Might be marriage. Might be children. Might be finances. Might be future. And might be a sin that he is convicting you of. And he's calling you to leave it. We are called to turn our backs on sin. We're called to follow Christ. And if you're going to follow Christ, you must leave the land of sin and enter into a land of turning your back on sin and living in a land of repentance and faith. There is a place where you must surrender the reins of your life to him. And he will lead you. Abraham demonstrated unswerving commitment to the promise of God by staying in Canaan, by buying the property. You, dear brother or sister, demonstrate your commitment to God by your faithful allegiance to Christ. As Abraham's service was costly, as Christ's service was costly, as the disciples' service was costly, as the heroes of the faith service was costly, guess what? So too, our sacrifice, our service will be costly. But friends, the reward far outweighs the cost. The reward far outweighs the cost. A billion times more, it outweighs the cost. But in the moment of trial, the moment of testing, moment of discouragement and distress, in the midst of death, the cost seems so great. You might be walking through something like that right now. In regards to walking in obedience, I heard one author say the following. Much of what the Bible demands can com be comprised in one word. Remember. 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 Remember that he knows us. Remember that he knows our needs. Remember that he's faithful. Remember that he's demonstrated his great love for us. He could not demonstrate it anymore. Remember that if you are a believer, according to Romans 8.1, where there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ, remember everything that he does with you Every place he leads you, everything he takes you through is never for punishment.
It is all for your good. It is all for your strengthening. God cares for us as his children. Remember. And in light of his faithfulness, we're called to trust and follow. I don't know what you're going through today or what you're facing, but I do know that God does. I also know that God's faithfulness and promises are not only for now, they are for another time, and they transcend this life. I have no doubt that Abraham will see Sarah again. I've no doubt that we will see our loved ones who die in the faith. Friends, Abraham had good reason to trust God, even in the face of death. But as believers, we have all more reason to trust God in the light of the resurrection of Christ. In moments of testing, we're called to see through the eyes of faith and obediently trust the promises of God. At the end of Genesis, it's interesting, chapter 49, as Jacob is dying, he says this to those who are around him, and he required that he be taken back to this cave that Abraham had bought. In verse 29 of that chapter, it says, then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that's in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that's in the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron, the Hittite, to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there, he says, I buried Leah, who was his wife. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last. Now, in his mind, at the end of his life, he was thinking about this memorial that we just read about. For him, it was evidence of God's promise in his life. Friends, we have evidence of God's promise in our life. It's a sure promise. It's a more sure promise than what Jacob had. We have evidence through the death and resurrection of our Lord. The God who was faithful to Abraham, the God who was faithful to Jacob, is the same God that has been and will be faithful to you and I. Don't look to this life for proof that God is faithful to his promises. Look to Christ. Don't look to your performance to determine the truth of God's promises. Look to Christ's performance. Don't look to your accomplishments in this life to measure the fulfillment of God's promises to you. Look to Christ and his accomplishments and remember, he sits in heaven holding for you an inheritance. It's reserved for you. And as you look to Christ, remember the words of Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Would you pray with me?
Father, thank you for the work of your son. Thank you for his obedience. Thank you for his sacrificial work. Thank you, Father, for your demonstration of faithfulness once again to Abraham and to us, that you will be faithful to your promises, come what may, that your promises and your faithfulness transcend this life, that we can trust you even in death. Father, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your faithfulness. Cause us to walk in faith. For your name's sake, Lord Jesus. Amen.